Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, mums, dads, grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website, www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Let's take a journey with The Fish with Hooked Noses Every year, when the rainy season begins in the land of Cambodia, some strange fish with hooked noses appear in the Mekong River. The old people in the villages say these fish are trying to reach the Temple of Buddha to ask forgiveness for the evil deed of one of their ancestors. This wicked fish had made the mistake of trying to interfere in the marriage of a beautiful young princess and her prince. This now is the story of how a fish came to have anything to do with this marriage and how he was punished for his selfish deed. Long, long ago in the land of Cambodia, there lived a beautiful young princess called Lin Min. So fair of face and kind of heart was she that many princes from far and near came to ask for her hand in marriage. But her father loved his daughter so much that he did not want to lose her and so he discouraged all these suitors by demanding them to perform impossible tasks if they wanted to win his daughter's hand in marriage. Lin Min never minded losing any of these suitors, for she was still young, and she delighted in staying at home with her beloved father. One day, Lin Min's young servant girl raced back from the well where she had gone to draw water and gasping for breath, she told Lin Min what had happened at the well. A kind young traveller, as handsome as a god, came up to me and asked for a drink of water. And when he thanked me, I tell you his voice was as sweet as the nightingale. At once Lin Min's heart stirred with excitement at hearing about such a noble young man. Now, of course, this servant girl had also told the handsome traveller about how beautiful and kind her mistress Lin Min was. The young man, who was indeed a prince, had thought of asking for her hand in marriage, but... He feared to do so, for he had heard so many stories about how jealous her father the king was. Later that day, as the servant girl was helping her mistress to bathe and pouring water over her head, something 
small and hard, landed and dropped on her hair. Lin Min grasped it in her fist and left it there, hidden, until her servant girl left the room. Then, as soon as she was alone, she opened her hand and gazed in amazement at the sparkling ruby ring. Now she knew for certain that this young man must be a prince, and surely this ring was a sign that one day she would marry him. She called to her servant girl and said, Go at once back to the well and see if our prince is still there. Then watch him carefully and try to find out why he is there. Meanwhile, Shinnak, the young prince, realized he had lost his ring, and he was searching for it by the well when the servant girl came by. Please help me find my ring, he asked. I must have dropped it nearby when you gave me a drink. Together they searched all around the well, but of course they could find nothing. The servant girl returned to her mistress, explaining all that had happened. Go back again to the well, ordered Lin Min. Tell this prince that I will bring him his lost ring myself. When the prince heard Lin Min's message, he took this as a sign that heaven had indeed intended for them to be man and wife. And at once, he rushed to the king and asked for his daughter's hand in marriage. Now, although the king was impressed by this young man's good looks and charm, he still did not want to part with his beloved daughter unless the prince could perform the tasks required. First, he told the prince, you must gather up every single grain of rice that my servants will scatter in those fields. You have one night to complete this task. The prince was grief-stricken, for he knew he could never perform such an impossible task. He sat down beneath a tree and wept over his misfortune. Just then, a little bird swooped down and perched on his shoulder. You may not remember, it said, but once you saved my life when a hungry cat was about to pounce on me. Now it is my turn to repay your kindness. With that, the bird called to all of his friends and they flew over the fields until they had collected every single grain of rice. The king could scarcely believe it when he discovered that this young man had completed this task successfully. But still he was not satisfied and he ordered the prince to complete a second task. Now my servants will scatter pebbles in that river yonder and I want you to collect all of them and return them to me. You have one night to do this. Again, the poor prince sat down by the bank of the river, deep in despair. How could he possibly do such a task? 
Suddenly, a fish popped up out of the water and said, Last year you released me from the fisherman's hook and set me free. Now it is my turn to help you and repay your kindness. With that, he called to all of the fish in the water and asked them to gather up all the white pebbles. Now, when all the pebbles were gathered, it turned out that one of the fish was keeping hold of one of the pebbles in his mouth and would not release it. The other fish scolded him for his greed and selfishness and made him feel so ashamed that he felt sorry for what he had done. He swam over to the prince and offered the pebble to him, but as the prince prized the pebble from his mouth, he accidentally pushed against the fish's nose, bending it into a hooked shape. Everyone agreed that this was the fish's punishment for being so greedy and selfish. And to this very day, the descendants of this fish all have hooked noses. The king was again amazed to see how the young man had successfully completed this task. But still, he demanded him to do one more task. I want you to pick the hand of the princess from all the hands of the other ladies in my court, said the king. Now all of the ladies in the court stood behind a large screen and put one hand through a hole in the screen for the prince to see. At last, this was an easy task for the prince to do. Do you know why? Of course, because the princess wore his ruby ring and he immediately recognized her hand. The king now gave up his daughter with good grace, for he knew this young man to be good and kind and full of love for his beloved daughter. Everyone in the land rejoiced to see the young couple married at last and a long and happy life they led from that day forward. Now, let's take a journey with The Bear's Bad Bargain. Once upon a time, a very old woodcutter lived with his very old wife in a tiny hut close to the orchard of a rich man, so close that the boughs of a pear tree hung right over the cottage yard. Now it was agreed between the rich man and the woodcutter that if any of the fruit fell into the yard, the old couple were to be allowed to eat it. 
So you may imagine with what hungry eyes they watched the pears ripening and prayed for a storm of wind or a flock of flying foxes or anything which would cause the fruit to fall. But nothing came and the old wife, who was a grumbling, scolding old thing, declared they would inevitably become beggars. So she took to giving her husband nothing but dry bread to eat and insisted on his working harder than ever till the poor old soul got quite thin and all because the pears would not fall down. At last the woodcutter turned around and declared he would not work any more unless his wife gave him kitchadee for his dinner. So with very bad grace the old woman took some rice and pulse, some butter and spices and began to cook a savoury kitchadee. What an appetising smell it had, to be sure. The woodcutter was for gobbling it up as soon as ever it was ready. No, no, cried the greedy old wife. Not till you have brought me in another load of wood. And mind it is a good one. You must work for your dinner. So the old man set off to the forest and began to hack and to hew with such a will that he soon had quite a large bundle. And with every stick he cut, he seemed to smell the savoury kitchedy and think of the feast that was coming. Just then, though, a bear came swinging by with its great black nose tilted in the air and its little keen eyes peering about. For bears, though good enough fellows, on the whole, are dreadfully inquisitive. Peace be with you, friend, said the bear. And what may you be going to do with that remarkably large bundle of wood? It is for my wife, returned the woodcutter. The fact is, he added confidentially, smacking his lips, she has made such a kitchadee for dinner, and if I bring in a good bundle of wood, she is pretty sure to give me a plentiful portion. Oh, my dear fellow, you should just smell that kitchadee. At this, the bear's mouth began to water, for, like all bears, he was a dreadful glutton. Do you think your wife would give me some too if I brought her a bundle of wood? he asked anxiously. Well, perhaps if it was a very big load, answered the woodcutter craftily. Would four hundred weight be enough? asked the bear. Oh, I'm afraid not, returned the woodcutter, shaking his head. You see, kitchadee is an expensive dish to make. There's rice in it and plenty of butter and pulse and... Well, would, would eight hundred weight do? Say half a ton and it's a bargain, said the woodcutter. Half a ton is a large quantity, sighed the bear. <sighs> there is saffron in the kitchen, eh? remarked the woodcutter casually. The bear licked his lips and his little eyes twinkled with greed and delight. Well, it's a bargain. Go home sharp now and tell your wife to keep the kitchen hot. <laughs> I'll be with you in a trice. 
Away went the woodcutter in great glee to tell his wife how the bear had agreed to bring half a ton of wood in return for a share of the kitchity. Now the wife could not help admitting that her husband had made a good bargain. But, being by nature a grumbler, she was determined not to be pleased. So she began to scold the old man for not having settled exactly the share the bear was to have. For, said she, he will gobble up the potful before we have finished our first helping. On this, the woodcutter became quite pale. Well, in that case, he said, we had better begin now and have a fair start. So, without more ado, they squatted down on the floor with a brass pot full of kitchity between them, and they began to eat as fast as they could. Remember um, to leave some for the bear, wife, said the woodcutter, speaking with his mouth crammed full. Certainly, certainly, she replied, helping herself to another handful. My dear, cried the old woman in her turn, with her mouth so full that she could hardly speak. Remember, remember the poor bear. Certainly, certainly, my love, returned the old man, taking another mouthful. So it went on, until there was not a single grain left in the pot. What's to be done now? said the woodcutter. It is all your fault, wife, for eating so much. My fault? retorted his wife scornfully. Why, you ate twice as much as I did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Men always eat more than women. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Well, it's no use quarrelling about it now, said the woodcutter. The kitchen is gone and the bear will be furious. That wouldn't matter much if we could get the wood, said the greedy old woman. I'll tell you what we must do. We must lock up everything there is to eat in the house, leave the kitcheny pot by the fire, and hide in the garret. When the bear comes, he will think we have gone out and left his dinner for him. Then he will throw down his bundle and come in. Of course he will rampage a little when he finds the pot is empty, but he can't do much mischief. I don't think he will take the trouble of carrying the wood away. So they made haste to lock up all the food and hide in the garret. Meanwhile, the bear had been toiling away at his bundle of wood, which took him much longer to collect than he expected. However, at last he arrived, quite exhausted, at the woodcutter's cottage. Seeing the brass kitcheny pot by the fire, he threw down his load and went in. And then, mercy, wasn't he angry when he found nothing in it, not even a grain of rice, nor a tiny wee bit of pulse, but only a smell that was so uncommonly nice that he actually cried with rage and disappointment. He flew into the most dreadful temper, but though he turned the house topsy-turvy, he could not find a morsel of food. Finally, he declared he would take the wood away again. But as the crafty old woman had imagined, when he came to the task, he did not care, even for the sake of revenge, to carry such a heavy burden. I won't go away empty-handed, 
said he to himself, seizing the kitcheny pot. If I can't get the taste, I'll have the smell. Now, as he left the cottage, he caught sight of the beautiful golden pears hanging over into the yard. His mouth began to water at once, for he was desperately hungry, and the pears were the first of the season. In a trice he was on the wall, up the tree, and gathering the biggest and ripest one he could find, and he was just putting it into his mouth, when a thought struck him. If I take these pears home, I shall be able to sell them forever, so much, to the other bears, and then with the money... I shall be able to buy some kitchadee. Ha <laughs> ha, I shall have the best of the bargain after all. And so saying, he began to gather the ripe pears as fast as he could, and he put them into the kitchadee pot. But whenever he came to an unripe one, he would shake his head and say, Oh, no one would buy that. Yet it is a pity to waste it. So he'd pop it into his mouth and eat it, making wry faces if it was very sour. Now, all this time the woodcutter's wife had been watching the bear through a crevice and holding her breath for fear of discovery. But, at last, what with her being asthmatic and having a cold in her head, she could hold it no longer. And just as the kitcheny pot was quite full of golden ripe pears, out she came with the most tremendous sneeze you've ever heard. Ah, 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 ah! <laughs> the bear, thinking someone had fired a gun at him, dropped the kitcheny pot into the cottage yard and fled into the forest as fast as his legs would carry him. So the woodcutter and his wife got the kitcheny, the wood and the coveted pears. But the poor bear got nothing but a very bad stomach ache from eating unripe fruit. Let's take a journey with Bunya and the King of the Sharks. On one side of the island there lived a great shark. He was named the King of the Sharks of that place and he had ten sharks under him. He lived near a cave that was filled with lobsters but no one dared to dive down and go into that cave and take lobsters out of it on account of this king of the sharks and the ten sharks he had under him. They stayed around the cave night and day and if a diver ventured near, they would bite him and devour him. There was a boy named Punya whose father had been killed by the sharks. Now, after his father had been killed, there was no one to catch fish for Punya and his mother. 
They had sweet potatoes to eat, but they never had any fish to eat with them. Often Punya heard his mother say that she wished she had a fish or a lobster to eat with his sweet potatoes. He made up his mind that they should have lobsters. He came above the cave where the lobsters were. Looking down, he saw the sharks, the king of the sharks and his ten sharks. They were all asleep. While he was watching them, they woke up. Punya pretended that he did not know that the sharks had awoken. And he spoke loudly so that they would hear him. And he said, Here I am, Punya, and I am going into the cave to get lobsters for myself and my mother. That great king of the sharks is asleep now, and I can dive to the point over there and then go into the cave. I will take two lobsters in my hands, and my mother and I will have something to eat with our sweet potatoes. So Punya said, speaking loudly and pretending that he thought the sharks were still asleep. Said the king of the sharks, speaking softly to the other sharks, Let us rush to the place where Punya dives, and let us devour him as we devoured his father. But Punya was a very cunning boy and not at all the sort that could be caught by the stupid sharks. He had a stone upon his hand while he was speaking, and he flung it towards the point that he said he was going to dive to. Just as soon as the stone struck the water, the sharks made a rush to the place, leaving the cave of the lobsters unguarded. Then Punya dived. He went into the cave, took two lobsters in his hands and came up on the place that he had spoken from before. And he shouted down to the sharks, Here is Punya, and he has come back safely. He has two lobsters, and he and his mother have something to live on. It was the first shark, the second shark, the third shark, the fourth shark, the fifth shark, the sixth shark, the seventh shark, the eighth shark, the ninth shark, the tenth shark. It was the tenth shark. The one with the thin tail that showed Punya what to do. When the king of the sharks heard this from Punya, he ordered all the sharks to come together and stay in a row. He counted them, and there were ten of them, and the tenth one had a thin tail. So, it was you, thin tail, he said. You told the boy Punya what to do. You shall die. Then, according to the orders of the king shark, the thin-tailed shark was killed. Punya called out to them, You have killed one of your own kind. With the two lobsters in his hands, he went back to his mother's. Punya and his mother now had something to eat with their sweet potatoes, and when the lobsters were all eaten, Punya went back to the place above the cave. He called out, the same as he had done the first time. I can dive to the place over there and then slip into the cave, for the sharks are all asleep. 
I can get two lobsters for myself and my mother, so that we'll have something to eat with our sweet potatoes. Then he threw down a stone and made ready to dive to another point. When the stone struck the water, the sharks rushed over, leaving the cave unguarded. Then Punya dived down and went into the cave. He took two lobsters in his hands and got back to the top of the water and when he got to the place that he had spoken from before, he shouted down to the sharks. It was the first shark, the second shark, the third shark, the fourth shark, the fifth shark, the sixth shark, the seventh shark, the eighth shark, the ninth shark. It was the ninth shark. The one with the big stomach that told Punya what to do. Then the king of the sharks ordered the sharks to get into a line. He counted them and he found that the ninth shark had a big stomach. So it was you that told Punya what to do, he said, and he ordered the big stomached shark to be killed. After that, Punya went home with his two lobsters and he and his mother had something to eat with their sweet potatoes. Punya continued to do this. He would deceive the sharks by throwing a stone to the place that he said he was going to dive to. When he got the sharks away from the cave, he would dive down, slip in and take two lobsters in his hands and always when he got to the top of the water, he would name a shark. The first shark, the second shark, the third shark, the shark with a little eye, the shark with a grey spot on him, told Punya what to do, he would say. And each time, he would get one of the sharks killed, and he kept on doing this, until only one of the sharks was left. The king of the sharks after that, Punya went into the forest. He hewed out two hard pieces of wood, each about a yard long. Then he took sticks for lighting a fire. He got charcoal to burn as a fire and he got food. He put everything into a bag and he carried the bag down to the beach. He came above the cave that the king of the sharks was watching and he said, speaking in a loud voice, if I dive now and if King Shark bites me, my blood will come to the top of the water and my mother will see the blood and will bring me back to life again. But if I dive down and the King of the Sharks takes me into his mouth whole, I shall die and never come back to life again. King Shark was listening, of course, and he said to himself, No, I will not bite you, you cunning boy. I will take you into my mouth and swallow you whole, and then you will never come back to life again. I shall open my mouth wide enough to take you in. Yes, indeed. This time I will get you. Punya dived, holding his bag. King Shark opened his mouth wide, and got Punya into it. But as soon as the boy got within, he opened his bag and took out the two pieces of wood which he had hewn out in the forest. 
he put them between the jaws of the shark so that the king of the shark was not able to close his jaws. With his mouth held open, he went dashing through the water. Punya was now inside the big shark and he took the fire sticks out of his bag and he rubbed them together, making a fire. He kindled the charcoal that he had brought and he cooked his food at the fire that he had made. With the fire in his insides, the shark could not keep still. He went dashing here and there through the ocean and at last the shark came near the island of Hawaii again. If he brings me near the breakers, I am saved, said Punya, speaking aloud. But if he takes me to the sand near where the grass grows, I shall die. I cannot be saved. When King of the Sharks heard Punya say this, he said to himself, Ha! I will not take him near the breakers. I will take him where the dry sand is, near the grass. Saying this, he dashed in from the ocean and up to where the shrubs grew on the shore. No shark had ever gone there before. And when King of the Sharks got there, he could not get back again. Then Punya came out of the shark. He shouted out, King of the Sharks has come to visit us. And the people, hearing about their enemy, came and they killed the shark. And that was the end of the ugly and wicked King of the Sharks. Every day after that, Punya was able to go down into the cave and get lobsters for himself and his mother, and all the people rejoiced when they heard how those eleven sharks had been destroyed because of the bravery of the boy Punya. I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.